we're going to do this a little bit different this morning. Um, we're going to start off as more of a Bible study, and then we'll shift into a message. So if you wanted, you could come closer forward and make this a little bit more of a small group. You don't have to, but just throw that out there. Otherwise, I'll be shouting to the back because I'm going to have you guys participate. You're going to be sharing scriptures, you're going to be answering questions, you know. So if you want to move closer, love to do that. Got a couple people. All right. Thanks. Um, so as Albert shared, it was great to be able that my wife, Yvonne, was able to come with me. And just as a quick intro, so we're down in Gaithersburg. Yvonne and I actually got to attend a, a gathering of churches on Sunday. I forget how many churches were there, but just a, trying to get a vision you know, God's doing something today, and how do we bring churches together? And so it was a real cool week for me, you know, going to that meeting. And then every time I come here, I want to hear, okay, say, what are you guys doing? So I just looked online and saw that not long ago you had three weeks of evangelism, you know, Gary, uh, Gabe Knowlton. Gabe Knowlton used to lead worship at the Wednesday prayer meeting that we have every week. Uh, Gabe Knowlton with Sir Speedy Printing uh, made my mats for my side business. I'm, I'm listening to Gabe Knowlton preach, and this is like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. And I'm driving up to Frederick, and uh, you know that point when you come to 270, and you're just over the ridge, and all of a sudden Frederick's there in front of you. I, I don't know if this is a word, but it's an impression. And um, I've just been very aware, a lot of spiritual activity happening in Frederick. I think there's like 36 churches joined together on a 24-7 prayer. There's just a lot that seems to be happening up here. And I just had this sense that God was going to be doing something in Frederick that would then roll down to Montgomery County. Just, you know, for what it's worth, sitting in the back pocket, but uh, just, I, I just love being here, you know. So I think God's just doing a whole bunch of things. And it's really neat seeing how the body all connects together. So maybe part of the reason for Albert's back going out <laughs> was just to connect the body more, you know, having Gabe Nolton come in, having me come in and stuff like that. So you, you suffer, yeah, you suffer from the kingdom. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into what we're doing. All right. All right. So uh, we're going to do this interactive Bible study. There is an organization, if you hadn't heard of it, called Charles Simeon Trust. It's actually where I first met Albert. Um, they are an organization that really tries to help preachers preach better by understanding the word. But about 10 years ago, one of our pastors just said, you know, this doesn't have to be for preachers. This is for everybody. How can we understand the word better? And there are principles. Um, It mostly starts with the fact that the Bible, even though it's a holy book, is literature. Okay? So literature, God has constrained himself to the rules of literature in giving us his word. So all you English majors and those who remember our high school and uh, grammar school English, you know, some, what's some different kinds of literature? Poetry. Poetry. Narrative. Fiction. Back of cereal boxes. Letters from your loved one. Uh, text. Copyright. So now, when I read a text... I read it different than a wedding invitation, which is also different from how I read the deed to my house, which is different from how I read a Michael Steele novel, right? I 
automatically, intuitively do that. Um, and I'm thinking, that, well, the Bible's the same way, all right? Um, and so there are different parts to the Bible. Now, what I was really excited about on this Simeon Trust was that uh, a group of us just start learning these principles, and um, uh, the youngest guy was over 40, and so one of the guys bumped out. I said, can we get somebody younger in here? And so my son, who was in his 20s, got to come in, and he loved it. He ate this stuff up. So what's really cool right now is Covenant Life has started doing Sunday classes. So before the service starts at 10, uh, we actually have classes. And uh, my son Chad is teaching one of the five classes, trying to help people learn about Simeon Trust. Now, I say all that to say, as he is just bringing us along as a group, Genesis 22, I am just like being met and being fed and there are lights coming on. So this is what I'm trying to bring to you, is the outworking of Simeon Trust uh, that Chad brought to me. So full circle. All right. So let's open up to Genesis 22. Uh, just a Bible, whatever you got, your electronic Bible. And um, can someone read to me verses 1 to 8? Real loud so everybody can hear. Here we go. Okay, uh, let's have someone grab. How far did you go? To what verse? And they, okay, great. Uh, someone do nine to fourteen for me. A lady. All right, Holly in the back. Awesome. Okay, and now verses fifteen and nineteen. Let me get somebody under twenty. All right, come on, gonna be bold. <laughs> under twenty, under twenty. All right, under twenty-five. There you go, there you go. We'll take twenty-five. Sold. Verses fifteen, nineteen. All right, and the last verses twenty to twenty-four. One more volunteer. He's got it. Go for it. All right. Can we give him a hand? Because he had the hardest part. That was. <laughs> so, so a hint, whenever you're preaching, if you don't know the word, just make it, you know, just say it. Taba, moka, sugar, you know. Nobody will know. <laughs> well done. All right. So what we just read. Okay. What kind of literature is that? Narrative. That was a story. We just read a story. Okay, so um, what are characteristics of a story? If you are in a literature class, what are elements of a story that you're going to find in a story? A plot. Yes, a plot. What else? Yet? Irony. Irony, good. Dialogue. Conflict. Resolve. Characters. Good one. Setting. All right, I'm going to put up the plot line structure. All right, you guys hit almost all of them, I think. All right, so this is just, just right out of Google. Just put a plot line diagram, you know, what's, what's there. Um, and they, through exposition, conflict, rising action, climax, falling action, resolution. 
we do this all the time. Every movie we watch, every book we read, okay? It's, it's the same thing. I don't care if it's Indiana Jones or, uh, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, all right? Now, exposition, just to be clear, is, 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 is kind of introducing you to the story. So it's the setting and it's also the characters. You got to know, okay, who am I looking at? Who am I talking about? And where are they? Um, and then there's some kind of, there's always a conflict, man versus man, man versus nature, man versus eternity, okay? There's a reason that there's a pressure, okay? And as you go along the story, that pressure intensifies, intensifies. I remember going to a uh, writing class with my son. This is one of the guys who wrote for Focus on the Family. And he talked about that the higher the wall is in your story, the higher the tension, the more angst, you know, the better the story, Okay? So you keep screaming more and more impossible. Then you finally hit the climax, and then the whole thing descends. Resolution, some people actually call it the new beginning or the, the, the new exposition, okay? Because now it's resolved, and now you're a different place, all right? But thank you for hitting characters, all right? Also extremely important, um, especially in Hebrew literature. So recognize that Hebrew literature doesn't waste anything. So if you notice that characters are like, they're not described. Or if they are described, it's very important. So remember they talked about Absalom. He cut his hair every year and it weighed how many shekels. Like they're talking about his hair. Like how much his hair weigh? Why, you know? Well, you know, when he finally is caught in that tree at the end of his life in the midst of a war, it all fits together, okay? So when characters are mentioned, um, so... We just read a story. Uh, who are the characters in the story? Abraham. Abraham. Isaac. The Lord. The angel of the Lord. God himself. Servants. Two young men. And there's actually one other, and this is a little tricky one. Well, it's the ram. I was saying the ram, the donkey. But actually, the narrator all right? Very important in the story because the narrator is Mr. Truth. The narrator is, this is what's going on. There's a lot that is not explained, but whenever the narrator comes out and says, da-da, it is, okay? You just can't back off of that. It's not like the narrator is lying, okay? <laughs> the narrator is God. He's the one who's written this, Okay. So when we read this uh, passage, uh, someone read the verse, first verse. All right. Sometimes, so after these things, God tested Abraham. What's the passage about? Testing. All right. Narrators come out and tell you right from the beginning. All right, this is what the story is about, God testing Abraham, okay? So you don't have, you don't have to question any further. The narrator just, just came out and said that, all right? Um, now, one of the things that uh, Simeon's Trust teaches us to do is to take the text out of the text. In other words, and if you could pass these around, I only got 30 of them, so um, couples and stuff like that, if you can share, that'd be great. Let's see if we can get something out to everybody. Uh, let's see if I can spread that to you. Let's see how we go. All right. Now, 
the reason you want to take the text out of the text is as you open up your Bible, you've got it already broken into passages. Some of our Bibles have little headings on it, right? They're telling you what the story is about. Whether it is what the story is about or not, it's what the editor of the Bible decided the story is about. And he broke it up into paragraphs. Original Hebrew scripture, no paragraphs. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's even periods, right, Albert? Yeah, I, th- I think, th- yeah. So, so you, as the reader, have to decide that. So one of the things uh, they teach us to do is take the entire passage, and I love technology, copy-paste is an awesome thing. I just copy my passage, and I throw it into Notability. I love using that, and I paste it, and then I erase all the verses and all the paragraphs. So I got one block, okay? And I start working with that, that block, you know? Um, and I'm now trying to figure out the story. Okay, this is a story. So I've got to figure out, okay, what... It, is the structure of the story. Now, structure becomes very important because structure is kind of like your skeleton. It's holding your body together, okay? Get away our skeleton, we just kind of look, what do we look like? <laughs> you know, like, we lose everything, okay? Everything just mushes, okay? But our skeleton is our structure, and it gives definition. So every book has a structure. And that's important because it's driving meaning. Structure drives meaning. So one of the first things you try to do with a passage, you guys open up your Bible in the morning, you're looking at it and stuff, you try to find out what, what structure is. Now, with a story, one of the ways that's very common to break up structure is simply change of scene. Act one, act two, act three. Okay, there's other ways to do it. I chose this one to go with this one. Hey, by the way, what I, where I'm going to take you through, this is the way I end up doing this. I'm not saying that this is the way to do it, What's fun when you do this with a group of people is people have different eyes and they, uh, they, they pull in different things. But with that clause, I broke it up by settings. So if you look at the paragraph there, you're, you're going to see is the first one is where God's speaking to Abraham. All right. Um, and then all of a sudden the setting changes. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. He's in a different place. And now he's having a dialogue with Isaac. And then finally, when they came to the place of which God told him. Um, so I got three locations. And so I broke up my section of that. The last portion that our brother read where he had to stumble, I actually took that out um, where he talked about all the sons and stuff like that. Now, maybe it's an elaboration of the rest of the passage because it's maybe a fulfillment of the promise of God. Or maybe it's a transition into the next part of the book. For this purpose, I just clipped it, all right? So that's where I'm at right now. Now, the next thing that uh, ended up working on, if I can jump back. Um, is context. How does the context inform the meaning of the passage? Okay, context. Uh, We've got a literary context, we have a historical context, we have a cultural context, we have a biblical context. Okay, so we have just read this story, but this is not where the story started, right? We've been reading a whole book. So you guys who are biblically informed, what has happened to Abraham so far? Just some of the things in his life before this. Yeah, he rescued Lot. Fought a whole war. 
big one. God made a promise. You are going to have a son, and through your son, nations are going to be reached. What else? Yes. Abraham said, okay, this ain't happening. It's been a long time. Uh, God obviously doesn't know what he's doing. Actually, Sarah goaded him a little bit. And uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> So he goes ahead and has a, another son, which has become a problem ever since then. But he had a second son, right? What else? He gave Sarah to a king, and then God Sarah Yeah. So Abraham went through a couple of lessons in life. He wasn't such this perfect person, was he? You know, who's that? That's your wife. I'm going to give my wife away. Uh, all right. How many guys, if they did that today, what would you think of them? Okay, so again, a little bit about Abraham. Anything else? That's, that, that's good, but, but you see the context. Now, so this is later in his life. Any idea about how old he is now? Do you remember when Isaac was born, how old he was? He's actually 99. What's very interesting is when God gave him the promise, hey, you're going to have a son, Isaac, you know how long it was before Isaac got born? 25 years. All right, God's going to promise you, you know what? I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. We're in year 20, and God, I ain't seen blessing in my life. That's one of the reasons Abraham is the father of our faith. 25 years, all right? 99 years old, having a son. It finally happened. It came. Isaac's born. Awesome. Go kill him. Wow. All right. Do we got some tension now? All right. So that's some of our context um, and cultural context. Is it cool to go ahead and kill your son? No, not, not in any culture. You know, definitely not in that culture. Um, so those are some of the things. Um, now, this would be a little bit biblical context. There's a place that he tells him to take the son to and kill him. Where? Moriah. Ever heard about Moriah in the Bible? All right. I'm going to take you to the mountain in Moriah. Look at 2 Chronicles 3.1. If you do a Bible search, and again, I love technology for this reason. You know, I just, I just punch Moriah in my ESV Bible search and all the verses that come up on Moriah. There's one other one. 2 Chronicles 3.1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. All right, to save you a little bit of history, uh, one of the stories about... Uh, David, actually, this is in 1 Chronicles 21, 16. Uh, David had done a census of Israel. God was upset. He then picked one of three judgments that uh, was going to be afflicted on him. David said, you know, I'd rather be in the hands of God than a man. And so God sent a plague, and people are dying by the tens of thousands. And David is pleading with the Lord, Lord, I sinned. Why should these sheep be dying? And he is on this mountain, and this is uh, 1 Chronicles 21, 16. 
And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, and in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. (laughs) Who's David in the Bible? David is a type of Christ figure, right? He's a king. He's a shepherd. He is there on Mount Moriah. There is destruction, the angel of the Lord. And you have David interceding, have mercy on the people. Wow. And that's where the angel stops. So David, when he goes ahead and says, we're going to build a temple and Solomon's going to build it, we're going to build it right here. Forward 1,000 years, where was Jesus killed? Mount Moriah. In Jerusalem, outside the city walls. It's incredible. It's like, this is, these are the parts of the Bible where you start saying, you know, someone just wrote this, okay? When these people wrote this, when First Chronicles was written, there was no way you could write in Chronicles and pull in Abraham's story and Jesus' story. But you got three major events. You got the sacrifice of Isaac. You have David there in Jerusalem, a historical event, and you have Jesus in Jerusalem. God setting it up all from the beginning. You can't write that. But it's right there in Scripture. Oh, my goodness. You're just like, Lord, you knew what you were doing. This is one of the beauties of our faith. We have a God who's revealed himself in history. We don't have a concept. We don't have a theory. We have a God who's revealed himself in history. You have to rip apart history to rip apart the knowledge of who God has revealed himself to be. All right, throw that in your pocket. Finally, an element to be aware of is repeated words and phrases. Um, Whenever you're doing any kind of literature, again, you're trying to look for patterns. And what you'll see that I did there, and reason I hand out those sheets, is I just went through and bolded and highlighted and colored things that were sticking out to me. So what's some things that you saw repeated? Or I think the, the main one. I think. Son. Your son. Your only son. Was it Abraham's only son? No, oh, Ishmael. Who's the one who says your only son? Twice. God. God emphasizes your only son. Abraham says my son. But son is all the way through that passage. Son, your son, your only son. It's son, 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 son. It's almost in every verse. This is a passage about a son. You can't miss it when you start highlighting it. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is a passage about a son. An only son. Some other uh, God and angel of the Lord is repeated there, you'll see. And I also highlight out uh, will be provided. I thought that was significant. It's said several times. It's the name of the place that's called. So, you know, I, I, I threw that. Um, now, there's more work to be done. I'm, I'm just giving you a, you know, trying a 10-minute lesson on a course that you take for, and you can actually go to uh, org and uh, look up their courses and stuff like that. But um, one other thing about interpretation, especially when we're looking at Old Testament and Old Testament narrative, is to look over into the New Testament. All right, the apostolic writers... When they read Genesis 22, what did they see 
and what did they write? So if we have God-inspired apostolic writers who are carrying to us the message of God, and they say, oh, you know Genesis 22, blah, blah, blah. They've already given us an interpretation, very much like the narrator. So always be cognizant of, okay, I just read the story. Did Jesus talk about this? Did one of the apostles write about this? What was said in the New Testament about Genesis 22? Um, so it's a very important help. So those are our building blocks. Um, I'm going to give you one other quick building block. I'll, I'll pull it into the passage in a second. Um, Brendo, or Brandon, <laughs> can you throw up the chiastic structure, the illustration one? So um, for those who have never heard of chiasm, it's, a, uh, it's another literary feature, and it's used a lot in Hebrew literature. It's the idea of A, B, C, B, A. And this is Psalm... Oh, I can't remember. Maybe 22. I have it in my notes somewhere. Um, thank you. There you go. <laughs> so what you're going to see is if you open up Psalm 110, it's very short. And these are the points. Uh, Yahweh has established his game. He sent out to conquer the day of power. Yahweh makes an unbreakable oath. The day of wrath. He goes out to conquer. establishes his king. He has said the same thing twice. So Pink, Yahweh establishes the king. Yahweh establishes the king. Yellow, he ascends to conquer. He goes out to conquer. Blue, the day of power, the day of wrath. D, Yahweh makes an unbreakable oath. Now, it's an awesome tool, especially when you are communicating orally, because if you are trying to relate a story, this kind of structure in your brain helps you keep the thing intact, Okay, which is really neat. But there's another thing that chiasm does. Is it pushes the main point. What's the main point? Yahweh makes an unbreakable oath. It is bold in it. It's thrown in lights. It's highlighted it, okay? It's like all of a sudden there. And it's really cool when you just find that in Scripture. You know, all of a sudden it takes on a whole different power. All right? That's our last tool. Now, now having an instruction, I'm going to say, okay, I grabbed all this stuff together and we're actually going to try to do a quick sermon Pulling all that together, the way I ended up looking at this, and then you can tell me afterwards, like, Steve, I read that, and you're just totally off. Sorry. <laughs> but um, for what it's worth, um, let's, uh, let's jump in. So, Lord, uh, do, uh, most of all, as Albert mentioned before, as it was said in many ways, your word speaking to our hearts is something that none of us here in this room can do. That's not only you can do. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us. Thank you for your word written. Speak your word inspired. Speak to our heart, our situation, our conscience, our lives, our present. We need you. We need you. We live by your word. So, Father, I pray for each individual that they would hear Genesis 22 for their life, for their place, because you love them you're speaking God. So speak this morning. Amen. All right, the way I broke this in is I grabbed three sections. I broke a commanded sacrifice initiated, a commanded sacrifice anticipated, and a commanded sacrifice upgraded. So you guys got the three paragraphs in front of you, but first, a commanded sacrifice initiation. 
Why was it commanded? We don't know. Genesis 22 does not tell us why God said, go kill Isaac. He just did. It's not what this passage is about. We have to go outside of this passage to understand more about why a sacrifice was commanded. We have to go to the whole Levitical laws, the slaying of beasts, uh, the thousands of years of history, and then the ultimate crucifixion of a son. What is commanded? Sacrifice Isaac. Um, I think you point out, this is the son. This is the promise. This is 25 years of waiting. This is everything God has said to Abraham that's going to happen. It's going to happen through Isaac. Kill Isaac. Take everything that you love. Take everything that you have set your hope in. Take everything that you're looking to as a fulfillment of the promise from God and let it die. Wow. Like, how do you do that? This is where I appreciate the New Testament writers because Abraham said yes. And you sit there and it's like, Abraham, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Like, he's just like this, like, you know, yeah, I'll go do it. I'll you not care? You just a little bit messed up in the brain? Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, what the narrator said that the passage is about, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises through Isaac, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, this is why Abraham is father of faith. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. How did you process this, Abraham? You know what? God is good. God has been good. God is faithful. Even when I mess up and give Sarah to a king, he pulls me out. And even when I do this stupid thing, he pulls me out. Even when I have Ishmael, he pulls me out. He is good. He keeps his promises. I've seen it again and again. I've tested him again and again. He does it again and again. If he's telling me to do this, he's going to do it again. I can't see any other way that can happen apart from, you know, bring right back to life, which has never happened before in history. But you know what? Maybe that's how he's going to do it. This I know. He's going to keep his promise. He doesn't do it because God makes him do it. It's not the motivation. It's not like I'm, oh, you're mean. I'm just going to do it because I have to obey you. No. He sees his father is good and his promises is true. He's motivated to give up what he loves because of his trust in his God. And isn't that the same for us? 
all the hard things that God says, do this. God, you're good. You've loved me. You've been good to me. I don't want to give this up. I can't see you giving this up. I, I believe you're going to somehow raise this up, Lord. I'm going to trust you. All right. Commanded sacrifice anticipated. Now, this is why I wanted to bring in the chiasm. All right. So if you bring up the passage of the slide, the chiasm. And this was cool because um, this, this came out about as a class discussion. I forget who started it. Um, there's another one, Brandon, with the, like the, there's a verse at the top and a verse at the bottom. It's, there you go. Okay. Now, um, and, and this is a fun thing about doing this as, as a group. So, and he cut the wood and for the burnt offering arose and went to the place of which God had told him. At the bottom. When they came to the place of which God had told him. They went to the place of which God had told them. When they had come to the place of which God had told them. A.A. Now, so they went, both of them together, underlined. So they went, both of them together. B.B. Well, what's C? And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. I just, I think there is something in the structure that is pushing and just emphasizing the center point. What's the center point? God will provide. God will provide. Where is the lamb? God will provide. Now, check out Isaac's question and response. So, how old in your mind is Isaac? He's the son. And this was helped me. I was just thinking. Uh, I, I had to do a little bit of research. It's like the kind of offering that Abraham was commanded to give is a whole burnt offering. All right? After he kills him, Isaac's body is going to have to be totally consumed. Right? How big are you? Five-year-old? Eight-year-old? Twelve-year-old? How much wood is it going to take to totally burn up your body? Because that wood was cut and was put on Isaac. And Isaac had to carry it. And he had to carry a distance because remember in the passage it says, and they saw the place from far. I, I don't think Isaac was five or even ten. I'm thinking he's one of you guys, like strong, stout, 16-year-old guy. And he's carrying a load of wood. Why is that important? Because Isaac can stop Abraham. Abraham's 116 years old. I ain't gonna wrestle my 16-year-old son. And 116? And all of a sudden, I'm getting this picture. Isaac and Abraham. Now, there's one other element to the story, the characters, right? This is the one I struggle with. I, th I think you called it out. The, the, the witnesses, the two young men. Uh, the two young men. All right, so you have to go back to the passage. 
and I think I highlighted it for you in brown, but their mention in the first paragraph, so Abraham rose early and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men. Uh, on the third day, Abraham said, to his young men. And at the end, returned to the young men. Why are the young men in the story? What did they do? They don't do anything. They're in the story. They don't do anything. So what's jumping out to me there is they are obviously uninvolved. They're in the story, but they are totally uninvolved in the activity of the story. They have nothing to do with it. They're left there. They're told to wait. We're going ahead and take care of this, and we're coming back to you. Now, with every story, the question is, where are we? Am I Abraham? Am I Isaac? Am I the two young men? And when I saw that, I just said, oh my gosh, that's the church. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? You've got Isaac carrying a huge load of wood. You have Abraham with a fire and a knife. And it says so pointedly, so they went, both of them, together. The Father and the Son of God. We're going to do this. We're going to make this happen. I've got the fire and the knife. You've got the wood. And there are people waiting for us to come back when this is done so they can go to Beersheba and live. We're going to do this. What a picture of God's love for us and the Son's love. So that's part two. Last part, finish up here. Three, a sacrifice upgraded. This one my son picked out. Let's read that uh, beginning of that passage. Can I borrow one of these? Sorry. (laughs) I kept jumping back and forth. I should have kept one of these for myself. Look how the action slows down. I didn't catch it. Someone else saw this. When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar. The whole time sequence is slowed down and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Narratively speaking, we're not supposed to get to but too quickly. We're supposed to feel the weight of this. 
if you were just relating a story, you could say, so Abraham went to kill his son. No. He built the altar, laid the wood, bound his son, laid him on the altar. We want to hear and feel what God the Father went through. We don't want to get to butt too quickly. We know things. We know, oh yeah, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. Sometimes because we know the end of the story, we have to slow down and think, what if the ending was different? What if there was no but? And now there's a key phrase. For now I know you fear God seeing. This is why Abraham was made the father of the faith. James 2, 21 and 22 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. So all of a sudden you have James jumping into Genesis 22 and says, you want to know what Genesis 22 is about? Genesis 22 is about this. You say that you're saved by faith, that's great because the demons say they believe also and they tremble. Let me see your faith and I'll show you my works. No, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. Our faith, if it is real, works. There's an aspect when someone says, I believe in Jesus, that you should see some dimension of change happening in our life. If there's a real faith, an Abraham-like faith, a faith that is saving, then there's some kind of a change. Are we perfect? Are we there? Are we not failing? No, but there's, there's forward momentum. I remember one of my sons, and, and when you're raising children, it's really cool, because all right, when you're trying to get them to change and grow and you're working with them for years, you always feel like you're constantly tugging. If you're going to get anywhere, you're, you're constantly pulling the rope. And there was a point when one of my sons got converted and all of a sudden I felt like, you know what? I'm not pulling on the rope anymore. It's not that I'm not guiding, not helping, but all of a sudden there's an internal engine now. He's moving forward in good progress without me having to do all the effort. There was a faith that worked. Now, verse 14. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said, to this day, on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. That is probably the clearest passage that says, when he says land of Moriah, and there is a connection with Jerusalem, that this could legitimately be where Jesus died. Because it says, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. It was provided. So the resolution. Because you have done this, I will surely bless. Multiply your offspring, possess the gates of his enemies, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In Galatians 3.16, it's going to pull on this story also. It's going to say, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings. In other words, all those who were Hebrew. Referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. Christ all of a sudden became the place all the blessings are going to happen. Abraham believed. So what do we take away from this? 
I think what I took away from this most of all was simply the love of God who kindly planned salvation, who intervened into history, who spoke to Abraham, who him and the son decided we're going to save. And then he brought this word to us and said, look at the testing of your father Abraham. Learn from it because it's going to be testing in your life. Look to the source. Look to Jesus. Let's pray.